Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's podcast, we talk with one of our first state champions of 2020, head football coach at Pine Richland High School, Eric Kasparovich. Eric, it's great to have you back here on the podcast. Hey, lo- love being here, Keith. Thanks for having me back. And it- it's nice having a little break now. We just finished up about, heck, about 11 days ago, and um, I'm already bored to death. So <laughs> good, good to be back talking football. Yeah, I mean, a coach's work is never done, right? You always say you're going to take a little bit of time, enjoy things, and then you find yourself, you know, thinking about things and planning things. And, you know, we're already into to clinic season, and, you know, all those things start to happen. It just continues on and on. But, uh, you know, congratulations again. Second state championship in uh, three tries here. You guys are uh, doing a great job over there at Pine Richland. Yeah, thanks. It's special, man. You know, great group of kids and, you know, second one that we've had, the, you know, been lucky enough to win. And, you know, in 17, we won. We had some, you know, Phil Dracovic, high-level quarterback, and that was a special group. But this group was was special in its own right where we didn't have, you know, a power five kid, right? We just had a bunch of really good high school football players. A couple kids are going to play Division two, some division, maybe small Division one, you know, maybe a – uh, max score here, here, or there. But point is, it's just a great group of kids played together all their lives. I know you're from Avon, and and reminds me a lot of that community. Just kids that played football together since they were in youth football, grew up throwing the ball to each other out in the yard, and then finally to come together and you know be able to culminate that with a state championship is is so rewarding to see. Um, you know the looks on their faces after we won. And just in case there's people from Avon Lake listening, I have to correct you and say from Avon Lake, because if you call us Avon, those, those are fighting words here. So, uh, so yeah, okay, it's one or the other, right? Gotcha. Yeah, but you know, in it was a fun season here. I'm watching my son and his team play, and you know, something you said before we got going felt the exact same way that the season went extremely quick. Now we played, I believe, 11 games. Um, so a little bit shorter getting to, you know, the point where we were, but just the quickness of the season and kind of every week, just thankful for getting that next week. I mean, I can remember the first home game for us was our, 
our senior night, uh, or I, I should say second one, primarily because we just didn't know how many times we were going to get to go out on the field. And so, uh, you know, it's so many things this year that uh, you're thankful for, but at the same time made it go really quick. Yeah, and we followed suit. We did the same thing. I think our senior senior night was our third game just because you didn't know. And the season was so quick. I mean, we did the same thing, 11 games. They pushed it back, I think, three or four before we started. But every day you came in, it was like you're almost like walking on thin ice. You're tiptoeing. You know, or, you know I'm, I'm afraid to look at my phone or look at an email or get a phone call from the AD saying we're shut down. Um so every day was just kind of like you weren't sure and you were just blessed and thankful to be there. And it really made you appreciate it. Right. It was like, it was like going to a fancy restaurant and getting that, that $60 steak. You, you cut it up into small pieces and you really, really chew it real slow and, 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 and savor it. And that, that's kind of what it was like this season. It was so rewarding because every day you just, just really, really, you know, took in, um, you, you, you felt it, you, you thought about it, you um, digested it and, and it really was just a real meaningful season. I mean, some seasons are, you know, 12, 14, 16 weeks. This 11-week season, it felt like it was two weeks. It, was, it just flew by. Um, and, and, again, thankful and blessed that we were able to, to play because I know a lot of states weren't. When you look at this, obviously, a lot to build on. Anytime you have a season where, you know, you, you get to the top, you win it all, uh, that's certainly something to hang your hat on and to continue to build the program. But I thought what was interesting is, as we were talking before we got started, is that you kind of have identified maybe some things that can be uh, problematic moving forward, or at least some issues you feel like we have to be aware of this and uh, have a plan for it, attack it a little bit because of the changes in the season. And one of those things was, just the ability to really be together as a team that everything this season has changed. You know, a lot of teams it's true here, you know, there is no locker room. Uh, the, the kids are putting the equipment in the, the trunk of their car, right there. There is no hanging out time, being together time. Like those things got severely limited. Yeah. I think a couple of things. Number one was that what you alluded to, we didn't have a locker room all year. I mean, we literally got, got dressed, you know, before they came, as the weather started to get colder, um, we actually had a little tent, um, kind of think like a graduation, um, had a graduation party and kids could get dressed in there a little bit. And then we were down in the tunnel, kind of underneath our bleachers there for two games. And then as we pursued through the state playoffs, there were still no locker rooms up to the state finals. So um, you lose all that camaraderie and, and, you know, before practice and then after practice, the kids are getting changed and whatnot. And just, just being a football team. And that's, that's, so little things like that, um, you know, so I, I, th I think, you know, this going into this next season, that's going to be a big focus of mine is just building that, that team chemistry back. Um, and another thing, Keith, too, that is kind of lost is we didn't practice. And again, I'm not sure if every program was like this, but we, we kept our numbers. We kept our circle as tight as we could. So normally we practice nine through 12. And for us here, we're, we're the second largest classification. We have about 1,500 boys, or 1,500 in our school, 9 to 12. Um, so about, I don't know, what's that, 700 boys or so. But anyway, um, we would always practice together. But with COVID, we wanted to keep our circle tight. So our ninth grade was separated on one field. Our seventh and eighth grade was separated on one field. Our JV 
you know, so the, the, the JV, we actually had to hold just like, you know, a baseball team would do, a basketball team would do. They would have your, your JV and your varsity, whereas football, a lot of those guys, those, guys, those JV varsity guys do both, right? Um, but our JV, we had to kind of say, hey, beginning of the year, your JV, you guys are up on the other field. We'll see you at the end of the season. We couldn't bring them, to, bring them down on Fridays just because of the, you know, the, the, the cross-contamination and all that stuff. We, nobody knew, right? Because if you had a case or somebody had a case, were they going to take the whole team? And you really, there were so many question marks. So we kept everybody separate. So we literally had four different football teams on our campus, the middle school, the ninth grade, the JV, and the varsity. So, I, I, I mean, I'm holding the exit interviews as we speak yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when these JV could come in, I almost feel bad because, you know, I, I try to make it up there and show my face once or twice a week. But I wasn't there coaching them. I wasn't there with those guys. And, and you know, I, I feel like they were cheated a little bit. So that, that's, that's a part of it, too. You know, those guys are normally coached by my varsity coaches. So they weren't a part of the team. They weren't there on Friday nights when we were making our, our, our championship run. They weren't there seeing seeing how the older guys and the seniors are reacting, you know, when adversity hits on a Friday night or somebody scores on you or when the quarterback throws an interception, you know, how does he react when he comes off the field? Um, all those little intangibles that, you know, I think are, are, are grown and, and fostered from a program, um, especially a successful program that's winning, you lose all that. You know, those kids maybe were sitting in the stands, but even with all the restrictions this year, a lot of them couldn't even come to the come to the games. So, you know, hopefully they were at home watching it streaming. Um, so that's another thing that was just, it's, it, you know, as, as rewarding as the season was, when you sit back and look back on it, it's like, man, we got some work to do there. And, and then also probably the final thing is, you know, in some of those games, you know, we played 11 and I think, I don't know, maybe four or five or six were – maybe a little lopsided at times. And in the second half, those guys are getting a lot of playing time. And so those ninth graders and those 10th graders might be playing in that second half of that varsity game um, when it might be out of hand a little bit, and they're getting a lot of, a lot of snaps. And when you add all those, those games up over the course of a season like this, that's almost another half of a football season. So a lot of things there that, that you know, we're going to have to really, really work hard on to try to cultivate back into the program and get those guys really involved and make, make them feel like they're a part of this championship team. And I, I know you're still in the process of doing those exit interviews, but it's something I'm sure you've been thinking about a little bit, probably don't ex- have ex- exactly the plan yet, but you know, what are your initial thoughts on, on being able to, to bridge that gap and to make sure that that training you missed, those experiences that you missed the just part of being uh, you know, that culture that, uh, like you said, some of it facing the adversity, et cetera. How do you, how do you build that back in? How do you recover some of what was lost? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the culture, um, you know, the bonding, the, the team stuff, I think that's easy, right? Cause that, we do that. We, we do a lot of that. Our program is based on that and that that's easy. So once spring hits and hopefully, <clears throat> you know, we're back to normal here pretty soon. Um, you know, we'll get going and status quo like we always do and, and start our team activities and really, really try to build that team atmosphere. But the other part, I don't know if you get that back, Keith. That's, I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that junior quarterback that, that should have been standing on the sideline, but he was instead he was playing JV on Saturdays. Um, you know, you, you lose that. And I, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know how you get that back. I mean, 
we're going to get get after it and we'll, we'll obviously reflect on this team a lot and the experiences that they've had and maybe some maybe some of the adversity that we faced but um, I don't know if you do. And, uh, and my only hope is that, you know, if there's some ideas out there, I'd love to hear them, but it's all relative, right? We are all in the same boat. So it's not like we were the only school. I think most of the schools out here around us were like that. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's something that I think it's just going to put you back a little bit and you got to, you got to start over. So. Well, in, in terms of starting over, uh, that's kind of what's done at this time of the year. You, you close the, the book on that previous season and you start the next one and you develop your leadership and uh, for everybody in the country, it's the first time that they're having to kick their off season off with a a lot of limitations. You know, this didn't hit us till mid March. We had established a lot of, you know, this is what we're about. This is how we're going to work. This is how we're developing leadership and you know you're right back into it now with limitations on what you can do uh, in your off-season program. I, I would be willing to bet that there's a lot of schools that are still not allowed to train together, you know, within their school or with, with much smaller numbers. So we're facing all of those challenges too for the first time. Any thoughts on on how you get this kicked off for your 2021 team? Yeah, I, I see from that aspect, we, we were allowed. So by the end of summer, we were allowed to get into the weight room, but we were in small groups. So we're, we were limited to numbers of 25 or less. So that would be the biggest challenge. Um, normally in the off season with kids playing other sports, our, our off season workouts, we usually average about, I don't know, 60 kids, maybe 55, 60 kids. So we'd have to break down into maybe two or three smaller groups. So from a staffing standpoint, that'll be a little harder on us. We'll have to maybe split up a little bit, but I, I think that's doable. And I think the kids are used to it. And, and like before, you know, I think they'd just be happy to get back at it and be able to get into the weight room and work out with their team. Just, um, and again, I, I'm hoping things get better. You know, I'm hoping all right, we start that way and then eventually we can get back to normal. But if we can't, then it's kind of be kind of the same process we used last year. Um, small group workouts, um, heck, I mean, a lot of the Zoom stuff. I mean, everybody said, you know, you can't – it worked out great, right? You were able to Zoom. I mean, that's what we did all year. I mean, normally from a football program um, on Saturdays, we would bring the kids in just like probably most schools out there, and we'd come in and maybe they'd get a lift, they'd go see the trainer, and then you'd watch film, right? I mean, I think most programs have done that. I know some have gotten away from it. But this past year with COVID, we didn't come in once on the weekends, coaches or players. So – that's making me look now as, as, as a, the head coach and the program manager, is that something that moving forward that we would continue to do? All right. So, I mean, some, some positives of that or what, I mean, kids can, you know, you're not wearing them out. You're not bringing them in more time than they need to be there. I know my coaches appreciated that. Now we still did our work and met on zoom on Saturday and Sunday, and you had your things you needed to get done, um, whether it was offense or defense, but I, you know, what did we really lose? You know, I guarantee you those kids watched that tape, right? Um, we, we, we went through and did voiceovers like you can on how to and put notes on both coordinators did that. And the kids, uh, we sent that to the kids and they watched it. Um, but I mean, what are you really losing when you're not bringing the kids in to watch film on a Saturday morning? You know, it's something that that's just what I asked myself and moving forward, I'm not sure if we'll ever bring the kids in on a Saturday again. So things like that, it's just kind of, it, it's going to make you step back as a coach and say, why do we just do this? Because we've always done that. 
You know, another thing that we did this year, and again, not saying it's right, it was just more or less because of COVID, but we were so unsure if we were going to have a season and it got pushed back. And once it came time that we got to go ahead and we started practicing, even prior to the season, we, we hardly ever, um, well, we never hit and tackled to the ground. I think we spoke about that before. But to this to that point, we didn't practice in full pads one time this whole year. So we played 11 games, won a state championship, played really good football. We were great tacklers. We were very physical. And we didn't practice in full pads one time all year, Keith. So that's, that's another thing that's like, well, yeah, that was partially spurned on because of COVID, right? Because we don't want to have to, you know, you, you know normally we do – the laundry and then you're talking about you know contamination and this and that so we didn't even do practice pants we were in girdles the whole time so moving forward that's something else that i think that you know we might continue to do so it's kind of kind of neat how you go through those those problems you have those issues and then maybe moving forward that might be the new norm right well you know problems always spark some innovation and you know i i think you hit on something important there, right? We are a very tradition-rich sport. The way we do things are a lot of times based on uh, tradition. We've always done it that way. There's not necessarily that uh, that push to look at new and different ways, but this was a year where we were forced to do things differently, and I think everybody learned some things. So it's, it's good to hear uh, some of that. I think those are positive things, right? Being able to uh, physically maybe lay off your players a little bit more and you know, the results didn't change for you. You were great tacklers. Obviously, you know, the results speak for themselves and what you guys were able to do with the state championship. Um, you know, looking at, I was interested in watching film and uh, watching film remotely. I know my son still went in on the Saturdays. It was, it was a lot the same, though they were distanced. Uh, they might have done it in, in uh, you know, in rooms where they could spread out more, et cetera. Uh, but anything you found that was effective in uh, a little bit different in watching film and giving that feedback and keeping kids engaged while they're actually not in the room uh, going through the previous night's game. Yeah, I, I think, I think, and again, we, during the week after practice, we would watch film, like same thing. We had to limit numbers and we would go in after practice and whether we watch that practice or the upcoming opponent. Um, but I, th- I think watching film and, Again, not all coaches, but I know most of us growing up, we had, you always had that one coach that would <clears throat> you were so afraid to screw up because you knew he would just ream your butt out, and, and it's embarrassing. You have that peer pressure of your friends and getting getting yelled at in front of everybody. So I think I think too by not being together at times, or at least that initial post game film review, you know, where a coach is real upset because maybe you missed a block or whatever you did you're not going to get that now because, you know, you're watching remotely by yourself at home. Now we're still going to get that message across, right? We're going to put the note into the huddle and, and, you know, we'd actually did some things there along the way where we took out like the, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, you've 10 good plays, 10 bad plays, 10 ugly plays or whatever it is and sent that out to, um, you gotta, you gotta get it corrected, right? If something's done wrong as a football coach, you gotta get it corrected. But I think there's some merit to, now you're not, now those kids aren't afraid to watch it. Maybe, maybe they're going to watch it even more and maybe absorb it more because there's not that peer pressure of getting yelled at by coach in front of the whole team. Right. I mean, we we've all been there. Um, you know, I think coaches nowadays understand that that's not what you're supposed to do, but I'm sure there's still coaches out there that do that. Um, so I, I, I mean, I think maybe it might be better 
right? In, a, in the long run, and they're going to actually get more out of it as long as you're, you know, correcting what needs to be corrected. And, and you know, that was my biggest worry that, you know, we we block whatever power wrong or we couldn't, you know, we couldn't fit up power, whatever it was, game one, and all of a sudden game two, we're still we still don't have it fixed. Well, okay, then 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 you got to figure something out. But um, we were able to get our our problems fixed, and it all worked out for us this past year. And I, again, moving forward, I think that's what we're going to continue to do. Yeah, I think when you look at it, feedback is is critical, and you're probably right. In in a lot of ways, this maybe makes the feedback better, right? It, it removes maybe some of the emotion. It doesn't necessarily have to be an emotional thing. Uh, to get it fixed, but a lot of times, uh, especially people sitting in the same room, the kid's uneasy, especially a younger kid who hasn't been through it before, uh, that this removes it. But, you know, to to have that feedback is just critical for improvement of the team and really for the culture of the team. I think teams that do feedback and, and accountability well have very strong cultures. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, end of the day, you got to get it fixed, right? It's just, it's how you go about that. It's how, you know, kids are going to make mistakes, right? That's okay. Next play mentality, get it fixed. Don't make the same mistake again. And, you know, I think there's different ways of going about that. And, you know, don't always have to do it the way it's always been done, right? I, I don't know what the cliche or what the saying is, but just because it's always done that way doesn't mean it's right. So I'm, I'm kind of a believer in that and always trying to find the, you know, cutting edge, newer ways of doing things or better ways of doing things. Um, and COVID definitely pushed me a little bit, pushed all of us, I think, in that direction. And we had to find new ways and creative ways to, to do things we've always done. For sure. Well, I know the, the last time, I don't know if it was the last time or sometime in the last year or so, you and I were talking on the podcast about stemming and pre-snap movement and you building that into uh, your defensive system. Um, I know that, you know, moving that front along, along with the disguise, uh, were some big things for you here on the defensive side of the ball in your state championship run. Talk to us a little bit uh, about uh, some of those things that you did. And again, for our, our listeners, I'll link back to uh, that previous podcast with Coach, so you can listen to that one as well. But talk to us a little bit about how that worked out for you. Yeah, so it's, it's a big thing now, obviously, offensively. Um you know, these offensive coaches and, and not even RPOs, but the, the pre-snap kind of picture that they're seeing, right? All these quarterbacks and, and coordinators are, it's all about the pre-snap picture and what are they seeing? What are they getting? You know, they're looking for the grass. They're looking for, is it one high? Is it too high? And all based on how, and what they see and how the defensive line is going to kind of funnel them into the play call or into the, the choice, the quarterback, or the offense coordinator's got to make is depending on what call they have, right? Or whether it's a run pass option or a screen pass option or a screen run option or throw this way or throw this way based on one high or two high, right? All these pre-snap things are funneling these quarterbacks into what to do with the football. So in return, we did a big kind of off-season, off-season kind of focus on pre-snap stemming which is is nothing revolutionary by any means but you know i think the worst thing to do is sit in one front and stay in that front the whole time that's why you know the three three stacks and the mint front and the tight front and all these things are so in vogue now because they're constantly moving those front guys and they're coming from different spots so 
we're an even front, right? We play an even front, usually an over front, but, you know, we did really focused on stem in the front. So that was one thing that, you know, we really did. And that I thought that helped us tremendously, whether it's pre-snap movement or especially post-snap movement. But on the second and third levels now, uh, the second level, we really work on, you know, that field backer, that nickel uh, guy to the field. That's a guy that offenses study, right? Is he in the box? Is he out of the box? Is he inside leverage of two or outside leverage of two? Um, all his alignment, you know, especially with all these, you know, um, spread offenses that are taking over all levels of football, his alignment, um, a lot of plays dictates where that football is going to go, whether it's, a, like I said, an inside zone with a stick attached to it or a, a bubble with, with an outside zone the other way. Or maybe now, they're, they're you know, they're going to read that mic now. And is he in the box? Is he out of the box? We're going to read him pre-snap, post-snap. So all these different pre-snap pictures, um, you know, we focused on being able to change that look. And then taking us to the third level, another big off-season um, issue, or not issue, but focus for us was the, the shell. And again, this is not, nothing, nothing revolutionary. This is things that, you know, defensive coaches have talked about for years. But we really, really, really tried to hold that too high shell every single snap. And, and at the end of the day, um, we were a quarters defense, but we ran 500, 400 and some snaps of football of defense. I think we were only in quarters when I did the numbers the other day, 30% of the time, but we tried to show that quarter shell every single snap. And I think not just from a coverage standpoint, right? We played some post safety. We played some split safety stuff, whether it was quarters or cover two, um, we did some some cover one and some hot coverage stuff, which is like a cover three. But more so, again, you show that picture to the quarterback, you show that picture to the offense, they're thinking too high. And just about every offensive coordinator out there, if you ask them if there's two safeties, are you going to run the football or throw the football? And I'd say 90% of them are going to say we're going to run the football. And if you can't run the football, there's two safeties, well, then you should probably – you know, figure something else out to do because that that's kind of their mindset. So we really, really wanted to show that too high structure and then post-snap being able to add our extra guy or extra two guys to the box and maybe maybe force them into a run. So, again, just all, all – it's cat and mouse, it's chess, right? These offenses, coaches want the pen last. Well, as defensive guys, I think we need to take that back. And the more we can, you know, present them with, with a, a picture that – is false, you know, present them with a picture of, hey, there might only be five or six guys in the box pre-snap, but post-snap, we're going to get another one or two or three in there pretty darn quick, um, I think is very, very advantageous to a defense because ultimately, you know, that's what these offenses are trying to do. They're trying to go fast. They're trying to package all of their football plays. And if we can, you know, especially if the quarterback's making the decision and we can fool him pre-snap or even the OC in the box, we can fool them pre-snap then I think we're able to gain the advantage back, at least partially, um, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Coach, it's interesting in in looking at this. So you go back to uh, last season offensively. I remember reading a stat, you know, heading into uh, – it was late in the playoffs in the NFL. Uh, could have been heading into the Super Bowl. But the San Francisco 49ers moved on 73% of – uh, their offensive plays, right? So that movement and really not not letting somebody get a beat on what you're going to do was so important to their success on offense. And I've seen that. I've seen a trend in more and more teams now who 
used to be static and line up uh, two by two, three by one, and you know adding motion in and lear- wanting to learn about how to add motion into some of their high tempo offenses, etc. Uh, but you brought up a stat and you had read something uh, and you mentioned Brandon Staley, who's the defensive coordinator for the, the Rams. Uh, uh, quick story. I, I had the opportunity to be on the opposite side from Brandon for a season. He was defensive coordinator at John Carroll and I was at uh, BW and uh, their, their defense was just outstanding. They kicked our butts that night, but he's a really good defensive mind. And, and you know, I think you said somewhere around 80%. Uh, the most in the NFL, they're lining up in in disguising everything that they're going to do a, a lot like what you talked about. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at those concepts, I see so much now uh, just being done to really combat what the offense is doing. We're we're trying to uh, conflict a defender, and you know, to now when maybe that guy's not even going to be there or. Uh, someone's going to roll down in his place, whatever it might be, the picture really starts to change. And now things that seemed like easy to pick on a defense start to get evened out a little bit. You guys have the chalk back. Yeah, it's crazy how it's kind of, it just keeps, yeah, it's uh, secular, just keeps, you know, going and going. And eventually it's, I think it's football in 10 years might end up going back to just calling plays again because, you know, we're all trying to fool each other. You know, I, I mean, you're a, you're an offensive guy, Keith, and I used to coach be on the offensive side of the ball years ago. And you know, you always heard like, all right, one high or two high. If it's if it's if it's one high, well, then you want to work weak. If it's too high, then you want to work strong, right? If it's you know, if there's one safety there, well, it's it's either cover three or cover one. And if it's two safeties, it's quarters or it's it's cover two, some version of two. And 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 that kind of let us down, kind of what I was saying, funneled you into what you were supposed to do with the ball as a quarterback. Right. I mean, there's a lot of offense that I think still do that. I know I have some friends that coach football in Texas and they throw the ball a ton. And that quarterback, his primary look, every single play is how many safeties are there and where are they at? What, what depths are the corners at? So they're studying that stuff. And based on where they're aligned, how many there are, that's where they're going with the football. So if you know that and you can change that picture or confuse that picture a little bit, then I, th- I think you can, you can gain an advantage there, especially, you know, I think there's so many offenses that are doing this now um, where they're, they're trying to package the plays, which is good. In a perfect world, it works, and it, it, it works quite a bit. But as a defensive coach, shame on you. If you're sitting in, a, in the same front, if you're not moving pre-snap or post-snap, if your safeties are static at um, maybe 10 yards and, and post-snap they're staying there, you know, your corners, whatever their alignment is, you're not allowing them to move and change and adjust, then you're just you're asking for it, in my opinion, um, because these offenses are too good. These coaches are too good that based on how you align, they're going to pick you apart. So I, I think we need to present them with different pictures, and I think that's a cheap, very inexpensive way to play, or at least to, to teach on the defensive side of the ball. I don't care what you're running, but you can teach them pre-snap. You know, what, what, I, I think you had a guy on, uh, Keith, I listened to a podcast a while back. Um, I think he used the animals or something goofy, like a yeah. bunch of different animals. Yeah. And he had like the one guy with that, like 60 different fronts. You right. Probably, you could yeah. probably. Rec- Nick Davis. From, me, but... Nick Davis from Rolls Homing. Yeah. Yeah. He had everything. Yeah. He had so bugs. He had to... animals. Yeah. Yeah. So I was intrigued by that. And to, I mean, maybe to that, that extent, right. He, he, he could move every single person, but 
I mean, to, 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 to along those lines, you got to be able to do some of that to, I think, get that chalk back on the defense side of the ball. Yeah. Now, now Nick has engineers in, in some of the smartest ones in the country. So, you know, it, although I think he said, you know, they come to him and they don't necessarily have football smarts, but you know, he, he does a lot with a little and he themes it all up. Now in thinking of, of the too high structure, I know, you know, going back to my days at, at BW uh, in, in the OAC, there were so many teams that were quarters and we, I think we primarily saw two things. We saw quarters and a lot of teams going three under three deep with a rotation of one of those safeties. Now, what we started to get really good at, because you couldn't count on, you know, just two safeties and that was telling you what was going to happen, was finding the indicator in the defense. And it's something I've actually worked with, uh, you know, some high school quarterbacks here the the last several years in just teaching them uh, that, just because you see too high, that's not going to tell you the picture that, that there's going to be a safety. Um, ultimately too, I think when you're at the high school level, uh, some of this is to cover up, like make sure you're not out of position because you're trying to disguise, but a safety who tells you exactly what he's going to do. And, and a lot of times I find it to be, uh, this isn't true 100%, but a lot of times I find it to be that boundary safety. Right. And, and so we started to look at and just study yeah, he's a high safety. We can't stop there. Where is he? Is he inside the hash? Is he outside the hash? When he's inside the hash, what is he doing? When he's, uh, you know, 12 yards deep versus 15 yards deep, what is he doing? And so for uh, these quarterbacks I was working with and looking at their opponents, and we would just do this every week, we'd go through this exercise. We would find those indicators to teach him exactly what that rotation was going to be. And then when you know that's the key, you can put your eyes there post-snap to confirm. So uh, what I'm leading into is that not all disguise is actually disguise, right? So do you have any things you're teaching your guys to maybe keep from becoming uh, an indicator for that quarterback or for the offensive coordinator and maybe who's calling it from up top? Yeah, I, I um, so I, I think, the way we do it, I keep them all um, separate, right? So my, my, it's basically four, four portions. It, it's our defensive line. It's our field backer, right? The two in-the-box backers in our structure, they, they, they pretty much are static for the most part. It's our corners and it's, it's our safeties. And I, I allow them movement within the, the, the call to do what they want and to change it up as they want. That way it's not just, hey, I'm going to give you three, three different – pre-snap movements and that way you know like yourself or the coach on the opposing side could break that down and in the and you're you're spot on Keith. there are a couple guys that if you really focus on that that's that's the ticket but the more i can keep them independent of one another so maybe on this one the boundary safety is cheating down but our field backer is wider because he he that's his cheat on that play and then the snap of the ball they both move and then maybe the next one the boundary safety is down but the field backer is tight now so that's a whole different picture I think it's a lot of the same mindset on as an offense. When we study offense, and I know that you you run power and, and the backs um, always opposite, and and you have that tendency when the backs opposite they're running power, but when he's on the same side it's counter. Well, that that's pretty easy to, to to break down. But then when you have teams that allow that running back to align independently on his own, and maybe some you know most of the time he runs power opposite, but then sometimes he runs same side power, or or same thing with that sniffer. You know, the fullback is an offense, you know, 
when he runs power, he's always tight and inside tight on the guard. But then all of a sudden, you know, two or three times just to break that tendency, he runs power from more of a wing alignment. You know, that that's what makes it really difficult when, when those are independent of each other. So that's what we kind of try to do on defense. We allow kind of those four different areas to kind of they, – they have three or four things they can do within their base alignment to um, disguise it. And that way they're never always tied together. And I think it's really hard to get a bead on, on what we're doing. You know, structurally, when you're looking at that, it, to me – uh, it's something I've constantly studied, whether it's been on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball. You as the coach, and I remember talking to uh, Dan Gonzalez uh, from, from Texas about this, right? That the structure you put together for your players is so important that it's it's almost, you have to look at it as a responsibility to your players that it's sound. And we mentioned as an example, you know, Nick Nick Davis at Rose Holman in in how he put that together. So uh, it has to be clear. It has to be concise. It has to be very teachable. Uh, the, the language, I think there has to be those learning cues within it, et cetera. Uh, when you're looking at the structure, how you put this together and you know what you're talking about is something very dynamic. For a defense to be able to do all that kind of movement and disguise, uh, not necessarily something that's easy on me as the offensive coordinator and certainly not easy on the players who have to dissect that right out on the field. So it starts with you, though, and, and on your side, creating that sound structure. How do you do that for your guys? How do you group those things together so that uh, it gets communicated clearly, that uh, you don't end up with people out of position, assignment busts, et cetera? Yeah, I think that's something you, that's day one for us. <clears throat> Defensively, I mean, every day we do a formation alignment assignment period. We're big, big-time formation-based on how we align, but that's all built in from day one. When we start in, you know, April, May, and we were able to get outside building that structure, um, they, they know their alignment, right? And based on different factors that the offense presents us, you know, our defensive front, um, you know, they have their base alignment. We have different ways we can have them aligned, but based on there's multiple things, Keith, just like, you know, you study defense. We study like, where's the back aligned? And again, nothing, nothing revolutionary, but is he, is he deep? Is he even, you know, where's the fullback aligned? Is he tight? Is he wide? So all these things will might it might tell my nose guard. Well, based on this, we want to align the G, you know, or two I maybe, maybe based on this alignment, we want to be in a shade. And then same thing for my defensive ends, you know, is the back to me? Is he away from me? Is the fullback to me? Is he away from me? So certain times we know, well, hey, if the back's to me, I'm probably going to get red. So I'm probably going to get a beer block. So I, I probably want to be really heavy on that tackle so I can get my hands on him and surf. And depending on what your technique is, right? But in our structure, that's what we would do. Um, you know, same thing with the backers. Is, is, is the number two receiver on the ball or off the ball, right? That tells me a lot uh, from a defensive perspective. Is a safety. If he's on the ball, I know probably nine times out of 10 offensive coaches do things for a reason. If that dude's on the ball, I would bet a, a lot of money. He's probably going vertical and I'll probably bet he's not running the bubble. Right. So there's so many tells that you can break down as a defense and, and, uh, or break down on the offense from a defensive perspective that the more and more that we try to, we, we build a lot of that in. So yeah, here's our restruct day one. This is how we're going to line up. But within that alignment, you have these three or four things you can do on any single play to disguise and then based on game plan this is how we want you to align when that ball is snapped based on what you see you know is that is the number two receiver tight 
Is he a little bit wider? Is he on the numbers? Is he inside the numbers? On the ball? Off the ball? There's so many little tells there that we're going to then, in turn, try to teach our kids to align to, you know, put us in an advantageous position to get done what we need to get done. Coach, I know you've put a lot of this together and uh, you're, you're sharing it on Coach Tube. And, uh, you know, co- no secret, I, I think everybody sees that uh, coaching coordinator. We've, we've partnered with Coach Tube. I'm really excited about that company, number one, because of, of what it does for coaches in, in empowering them to uh, do what you're doing, to share the knowledge you have as a coach and to uh, to not get caught up in, you know, what was traditionally the market, meaning that there were production companies out there uh, who would have you come out and shoot some videos and then you were done with it. But at the same time, they had your intellectual property and uh, you might make, uh, you know, 10 or 15% out of it. You know, CoachTube, as I got into it and learned about it, really empowers the coach that, you know, as a coach, if you're willing to share what you have and you have good stuff, you know, you're out there making you know, 80, 80% of it, you're getting the lion's share, uh, on coach tube. So you've shared your stuff there. I think it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous platform for coaches, both on the, uh, the guys who are willing to share, uh, as well as for those coaches out there who are looking to learn. I think, you know, there's really, because the coach can share and continue putting things up, there's no boundaries. It wasn't reliant on him just being on one trip and things got shot that a coach can uh, continue to put things out there. I know, I think you have three or four courses already and plans for more, but uh, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts just on, on the platform uh, as well as what you put out there. Yeah. Coach tips tremendous. And, and I think a lot of us, I mean, with COVID and everything, it's burned us into going online and then studying and figuring out ways to learn because there weren't clinics anymore. So coach tubes really blown up. Um, I, like you said, I think I got four courses on there, there now. I'm looking to put another five or six for sure. Now that we finished our season, that, that's number one on my list. So I'm looking forward to doing that just because I've learned so much um, through that platform. And it's so easy. You, know, you, you click in it. You can watch it anywhere you want, your computer, your phone, your iPad. Um, and then the best thing I like is you can build a relationship with that coach, you know, that you can contact them, reach out to them on Twitter, whatever. And if you have any questions, um, I've had awesome, awesome success reaching out to some guys and just building relationships. But, yeah, I got three, I think, uh, stopping the run, stopping the pass, and then basics of the of the four three defense, and then I put another one out there uh, a couple months ago. Some of our three by one adjustments, and like like you said, I'm looking to put some more out there. Um, it's an awesome platform. I re- really love it. And it, again, easy, easy, easy to to do, easy to share, and and I think easy easy to learn. You know, if you can do a simple little uh you know Zoom Zoom video, it's a great way to do it. And like you said, I'm willing to share what what the, the little bit that I know, but I think I've gained so much more from it than I than I've been able to give. And we will put the links to uh, all the different courses that coaches put together in our show notes. You can find the show notes just in the uh, app, whatever app you use it in. There should be a live link in the description. If not, you could go to coachingcoordinator.com and check out our show notes on this episode. There, we'll have the links to it as well, Coach. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited that what you guys were able to do this year, um, have loved watching your program. You and I, you know, geez, it's, it's, uh, been a while, you know, usually we run into each other in the, in the summer sometime with baseball. I know we didn't do this this past year and it's, uh, man, the, the time's going quick because, you know, my son next year, he's in college and we've been seeing each other for a, 
a few years now, every summer, it's always at that same tournament right here uh, in Northeast Ohio. But, uh, you know, it's uh, we'll have to find that opportunity to catch up live in person again. But um, certainly congratulations to you and your team. And, uh, you know, best of luck here in 2021 as, as uh, you guys get ready to uh, start a new journey uh, on a road to a championship. Yeah, I appreciate it, Keith. Always good to see you. Uh, let's make that happen for sure. And, you know, thanks again for having me on. I lo- love what you do. I mean, this is this is the lifeblood of, you know, of, of coaches. And it's not just high school football coach. I, I have a lot of buddies that are big-time college coaches at Power 5 that listen to this. I mean, it's a great way to – I mean, I cut the grass. I'm driving my car to work. I mean, it, this is my go-to podcast. So I appreciate all you do, man. Absolutely. And for coaches out there, uh, give them your, your Twitter handle, Coach. Yeah, I'm at Coach Casper, so C-O-A-C-H, and then Casper, K-A-S-P-E-R. Yeah, pretty pretty active on there. Again, very, very willing to talk ball. Uh, love learning from all the great coaches out there. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the coaching coordinator podcast that's at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on twitter at coach k grabowski